It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a great episode for you guys today. Brought on a guest. Uh, he is Prez. You may know him as at underscore Presidente on Twitter. He's the lead draft writer for The Strickland, a website you might have heard of at thestrick.land on the internets uh, that I happen to also be editor-in-chief of. Uh, but Gavin, we... We had a discussion that we got into during our trade value ranking, and we decided to turn it into a full episode, and we managed to put this together on the spot with Prez to talk about a little a little thing that we got a little heated about the other day. Yeah, man, that, that was what we haven't had a good debate in a long time. I think we've become increasingly lockstep, Alex, the longer we've done this podcast together. Uh, this was a good one. Uh, where R.J. Barrett would go in this year's draft given the context of his rookie year. And you were a lot higher on him than I was. I mean, you you said you'd pretty clearly have him as the second pick behind LaMelo Ball. I was arguing more so five, six, or seven, somewhere in that range. Um, And we decided to settle it. Prez is a guy who knows a lot more than either of us about this year's prospects. So we get into how RJ compares to most of them. And we really go deep on the comparison between him and Isaac Okoro. They're very similar in a lot of ways. And Prez has some great insight on that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here, Gavin Shaw with you as usual. And as we mentioned, we have a guest today. Uh, he is the draft writer for the Strickland, a little website that I have somewhat of an affiliation with. 
Uh, and that is Prez. Prez, how are you doing today? Welcome back to the show, by the way. I'm good. And yeah, thanks for having me back. Um, just, you know, hanging, enjoying these uh, good playoff games and and same old, same old. Summer's a little different than normal, but at the minimum, I'll, I'll take some good playoff basketball. Yeah, I, it's been kind of a kind of a different sort of treat for this time of year. Normally, we'd be having like a baseball pennant race and NFL preseason, but instead, we get treated to postseason basketball and all those other things. <laughs> <It's just laughs> exactly. Kind of interesting. It's it's like low key turned into one of the better sports summers like ever. Um, even if the I don't know bubble play maybe. It, I'm starting to think deserves a tiny bit of an asterisk because there's definitely something to be said for this whole small gym effect and all that stuff. But at any rate, um, yeah, so we brought you on today because Gavin and I had a nice little, I don't know if I want to use the word heated. It was, but it, it was a, an engaging discussion uh, on our, our asset ranking pod just yesterday, actually, where we were talking about RJ Barrett's value as it relates to this year's lottery pick. And I was like, man, I don't know. Compared to this class, I think even, you know, even if you're not just talking draft type levels, you know, of like where we were looking at RJ coming out of college, I think even if you're talking about, you know, if you have a year's worth of NBA tape where obviously he had his struggles this year and that this, that, and the other, but like if you would throw RJ's name into this year's draft pool with what we know about him now, or honestly, with what we knew about him last year, even, I think he's most likely at lowest the number two pick in this draft. But, you know, I think you can make a case for LaMelo. And my basic argument was like, they have some kind of similar skills. LaMelo's obviously a better ball handler, better passer. But then RJ's better on defense. And I think you could probably argue at this point that RJ has what appears to be a more consistent jumper form, uh, even if he struggled on on off-the-dribble shooting and stuff like that and really needs to up that part of his game compared to LaMelo. Uh, I think he's shown a, a pretty consistent jumper form and arguably a little underrated, uh, particularly on catch-and-shoot, like just because he happened to be in a rookie class that had a number of pretty damn good shooters, and it kind of overshadowed him a bit. Uh, but Prez, I, I mean, I won't, I won't keep rambling and bringing up same talking points. Uh, I know that you, I, you kind of reminded me cause it's been a while since the, since the end of the regular season for the Knicks. And since we were talking more about, uh, current Knicks rather than, you know, prospects and stuff, but you were among a lot of people sort of on the lower end on RJ throughout the year. So I think this is kind of a, you you probably make sort of a good moderator in a way and someone to weigh in on this, but I'm curious what your thoughts are about RJ versus the the rest of the 2020 draft class. Yeah, I've come a long way from being a lead leader, some would say, of the the RJ haters bandwagon. Um, I'm still not, you know, his biggest fan club member, but on PNT when I did my disrespectful comparisons. I had for the low end, <laughs> and there's a whole other podcast to be done on on how accurate or not accurate these have been in the years that I've done them. But for him, I had the low. <laughs> I had lefty Mario Hazonia as the low end, <laughs> <laughs> and then I had uh, for the mid level, I had Canadian Larry Hughes 
<laughs> and then for the high end, I had taller 2019 Justice Winslow, and the 2019 was that that's a, was in reference to when he had that random stint of games where he was playing point guard for the Heat mm. and was not bad at it and was putting up like decent numbers across the board, like racking up stats and getting picked up on fantasy waiver wires across the country for about two months. Um, so there's that. And then on my board back then I had him like a lot of draft Twitter. I didn't have him second. I had him behind Zion, Brandon Clark, his twin, Jarrett Culver, who remains his twin after one season and, uh, Ja Morant. So, um, I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of his. And the big re- the biggest reason, all those jokes aside, was like, for me, all the, like the back of the napkin test is like, what are you really extremely good at? What are you elite at that you're bringing into the league? And RJ was kind of, it was very difficult for me to answer that question because normally with guys, the answer to that question stands out like, oh, Zion is athletic and has incredible touch and a million other things, you know, John Morant or take Trey, like some people were down on him, but I was like, he's a historic, he's an elite ball handler an elite passer and an elite shooter and elite at drawing fouls. So like if historically, if you have two or three elite traits, you're in pretty good shape. If you have more than that, you're probably like, you're going to be a star. Um, but there's a question of kind of, how granular do you make it, right? Like, do I cheat and say something like RJ's was elite, RJ's elite at driving? Like, technically he is, right? Like, he's he's elite, not for his age, but just period in the NBA, like at getting to the rim, even though his handle's shaky. Like, he is 90-whatever percentile. Like, in college, you know, he was a great rebounder. Do I say he was an elite rebounding prospect? Like, technically for his position... He was for a two and or a, or a two three, but like that kind of feels like cheating. Do you say he's an elite volume scorer? Is that a thing? Not re- probably not. It's kind of a similar problem that you run into with Anthony Edwards, where it's like he's an elite athlete, but that's it. Everything else is kind of a stretch. You're like, ah, he's an elite shot maker, whatever that means. If you, as long as you don't include like making the actual shots. he's an elite shot taker right he's an elite shot taker exactly that's what i'm saying so like it because of those things it wasn't it wasn't easy for me to evaluate him it's a little easier now that he has decided to give a shit about defense um in the nba which he didn't really give a shit about at duke because he had zion and cam reddish and other guys who are all like top 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 notch defenders Trey, um, Trey Jones. So like, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I think I've come around to giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt just because. Just a quick reminder. Today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. I don't know if you consider yourself a home mechanic like I do. I mean, I I wouldn't say that I'm going to be out there, you know, changing out the head gasket of my engine anytime soon, but I like to change headlights. I like to make little cosmetic repairs to my car. 
uh, when need be. And, you know, I can recharge an air conditioning, a little stuff like that. And I like to test myself, particularly, you know, COVID season. It's been easy to sort of fall into a lull and it's nice to test yourself and do something new. So why not try fixing up your car? Now, the only the only problem with that is that in the past, you know, if you wanted to go get a car part, it, typically your first thought would be to follow one of the catchy commercials on TV and go to one of these brick and mortar stores, go in and, you know, see if you can get your part there. The only issue is when you go in, you get asked a bunch of questions you don't necessarily know the answers to, because like, quite frankly, you're just following a how to you found on YouTube and like, you know, you're just following basic instructions like a recipe and you don't necessarily know all the parts of your car. So they start asking you all these probing questions. Then you figure out that, go figure, at this tiny little brick-and-mortar store, they don't have parts for every single car in the history of man. They need to special order it for you. And then you get the the bill, and you say, oh, my God, this is not what I was expecting to pay, and realize that they're charging you an arm and a leg for something that you didn't think was going to cost that much because they charge more to regular consumers than they would charge to a mechanic. So if you've ever gone through that experience, fret no more because you don't have to anymore. Now you can go to rockauto.com. It's way easier. You go on the site. They have every make of car that you could pretty much ever think of. You click on your make a car. You click on the year, click on the model, and then click on the trim package, and you're greeted with a really easy-to-use drop-down menu of all the parts for your car sorted in the categories. They're all really inexpensive, like easily the lowest prices you're going to find anywhere on the Internet. And rockauto.com gives you great customer service because they're a family-owned business that is very invested in making sure that you, the consumer, are happy with your products and they'll ship everything right to your door so you don't have to make another trip back to that brick-and-mortar auto parts store when your stuff comes in. So if you are interested in you know, taking on a home repair yourself and maybe challenging yourself during, during this mostly stay-at-home time, we're starting to get a little more out of our shells, but it's still better to spend some time at home and do some stuff there. Head to rockauto.com and check out all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to pull the trigger on something right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. For him to, like, I know the inefficiency was there, but he literally had the worst spacing in the NBA, like, B-ball index measures it using, there's a long nylon calculus article they use explaining it, but they basically estimate lineup spacing on average for players. And he was in the zeroth percentile. (laughs) I've never heard someone say the zeroth percentile before. I don't even know if that's the way you phrase it. (laughs) B-ball index, for anybody who's at the zeroth percentile, they just put a poop emoji. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the right answer. That's accurate. It is. So, like, at the same time, like, th- like I think the line between, like, oh, wow, what an inefficient player, and, like, yes, he was inefficient, but I'm not tripping, is very fine, right? Like, what did he end up shooting, like, from the field? He's, like, uh, 
He wound up shooting uh, overall for the whole year 40.2% from the field, 32% from three, and 61.4% from the line. Although it it should be noted, and I I probably will note it in a minute, that his splits generally went up almost across the board after December. So, yes, the whole whole 11 games after December. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Yeah. But I, they did go up, and uh, you know he had a little bit better lineups around him, which is not a coincidence at that point. Shout out to Mike Miller. Um, I don't know. I think with all that preamble and hedging said, I'd probably, I wouldn't take him. I would. I I I love Lamelo, which is well documented. So I wouldn't take him over the mellow. Um, Lamelo has elite passing and elite ball handling, and. He just makes everybody better so much that that's it. That's like a easy, it's an easy call for me. Um, but after that, I think, I think it gets dicey. And I think if you're, if you're talking about guys like Edwards, I mean, I'm just going to pretend Wiseman doesn't exist for this conversation. But if you're talking about Edwards, it's this, it's the similar thing to RJ, right? You're hoping things come together for the NBA in a way that they really haven't shown in his career, except for RJ, at least they came together from the perspective of scoring a little bit more efficiently and winning um, everywhere. RJ Barrett has won everywhere. Anthony Edwards, not so much. Obviously he had help at Duke, but even like in the Canadian team, like they beat the USA and, you know, then his high school team was like a juggernaut team and, stuff like that so um i think you can make him in. you could put rj in that t i would put rj probably i don't know if i would put him in, so in my tier one right now I, it's just killian and Lamelo. um i don't know if i would put him with them i probably personally would put him at the top of the next tier but it's a tier for a reason right i don't think I wouldn't be confident enough that in him that I would take that that I'd like bet that he'd be a sure bet over some of the other guys I really like, like Ant, like who I still like despite all his uh, habits on the court. Um, but I would put him in. I would put him right there, right after with Ant, because at the same time, like if. after looking at how many elite skills do they have, the other thing I look at is like how many things need to go right for them to be, to have a star impact. And with RJ Barrett, it's the answer is he has to become a mediocre jump shooter because he, you already know he can pass from the outside of the court. Um, You know, he can drive, which was, was a big question for him. Like, I, I don't think people should underestimate that. Like people knew, he drove a lot and he bullied his way to the hoop in college, but his handle's not not good. So the question of is he going to be able to just get to the rim at will was an open question, and he answered it with a yes. He still can't finish there very well. He got a little better from when he was at Duke, but between the spacing and his lack of hops in the crowd, he's still not a great finisher. But, I mean, you give the guy a a decent jumper and he's probably going to be pretty good. He's, I don't know if he's going to be like a all NBA candidate, but he'll probably be pretty good. The other guys in this year's draft, if you're talking about upside star upside, you usually need more than one thing to happen. 
right? Like with Okoro, it's his handles and his jump shot, and he has to learn to take more shots. With Vassal, it's like he has to shoot more threes. He has to learn to dribble. He has to shoot off the dribble. He has to gain weight. Uh, with The easiest one is with Edwards, where it's just like he has to just be rewired, <laughs> re, re, uh, reconfigured. It's not any skill thing. So I don't know. That, that was a long ramble, so I'll stop there for now. <laughs> Yeah, I think yesterday I I had a day to sit with it, and I feel like I might have been a, a little harsh to RJ, who who I love, and I I was trying to make clear yesterday that, and maybe that won't be proven out. Like the more people we talk to about this, that I I thought I was actually relatively high on him, and I think I said I would have taken him somewhere around sixth, and I I just I don't know the prospects as well as you do, Prez, but I, I was just sort of going through my mind and thinking, all right, no way over Lamelo. Killian's sort of iffy personally like I, I like obviously not for the Knicks but just in like a big board sense like I, I kind of think Okongwu like might end up being a better player I don't know I was I was kind of higher on him um and there were a few other guys but where I was like kind of really focused is like just comparing him to like the other wings that would very obviously be in that range um Edwards I, I think is is such an interesting debate because it all it gets into what we always talk about with these conversations like upside versus who has the higher floor and I'm much more certain RJ is going to be like a 15-year NBA player like and to me that's almost like RJ's greatest strength is that he really doesn't take like his brilliance is that he doesn't take a single thing off the table like obviously last year he was a really subpar shooter and finisher but you'd think with time he would he'd get to a point where that's at the very least not a disastrous part of his game whether it's his shooting from distance or his his finishing at the rim and and to what both of you said he combines that with like an ability beyond his years to just use a combination of craftiness and strength to get to the basket um versus someone like Edwards who I almost think like most teams would bet on Edwards over a year of RJ because it just it was very clear to me like there's just not a world where RJ is going to be like the best player on a title team I don't really think there's a world where he's going to be the second best player on a title team. He could prove me wrong. Um, I, I just see him as someone who, like, there's a very good chance that he could play in, in a game seven of an NBA finals. You could play him 35 minutes and, and he's going to have a positive impact for your team. And, and that that's sort of where I think the value is. And then to me, that more so, like, puts him in a tier with guys like, and again, you, you could quibble with, like, if the higher upside guys who I had ahead of him. But players like Okoro and Vassell, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about, Prez, um, like the comparison between RJ and those guys. Because Al- Alex and I were talking about it a little bit pre-show, and I was sort of making the case, like, why isn't Okoro a better version of him? Like, far better defensively, similar strength, um, better finisher at the rim, uh, at least, or at least a, a more athletic finisher at the rim. Similar issues with shooting. I mean, I would I would even say, like, I kind of like, Okoro's form a little bit more even if the percentages were maybe even worse um really smart as a cutter too good passer I don't think quite as good as RJ but he's certainly not at a deficit in that area so I was kind of curious your thoughts on comparing those two and maybe even throw Vassell in there as well yeah I've actually been thinking about that because they're they are similar in some ways they're almost the same size right um they're literally let me pull up the tweet I pulled up their standing reach for a tweet earlier to well, Enough. while you're looking that up, I mean, I just want to stress, like, <laughs> I, I'll pull this right out of your, your profile on Okoro. Okoro shot 16% on two-point jump shots and 28% on threes this year. I don't 
I don't really know if it's fair to compare his and RJ's shooting game. Like, I think I think if you're going to say that, I, I mean, Okoro is probably defensively better, and I definitely think he's a better athlete, but I have much less worries in general about RJ Barrett eventually figuring out his jump shot than I do Okoro. Wait, but uh, RJ was at 31% from three in college. That's not like a massive difference. It's not like a huge difference, but I mean, you also got to look at what they were entrusted with in college. I mean, RJ consistently in college was basically just given the ball by Coach K and told to figure it out. Like he also he was a better talent around him though than Okoro. Yeah, I mean, Okoro yeah, but he was. I mean, he was not put in advantageous situations all that often. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think actually it's funny though. The more that I'm thinking about, it, there are some similar things between them in terms of like. Like, it was sort of what Prez was saying, like, with RJ, as far as RJ doesn't lose. And that was a big part of, you know, his profile on Okoro and, and uh, uh, Benoit's profile on Okoro that he did for Strickland as well. It was like, Okoro doesn't lose. Like, he's he, he's born to be a professional in the sense that, like, he's, he's going to go out there and he's going to try to win you the damn basketball game. He doesn't really care about much of anything other than winning the game. And I, I think RJ is kind of in a similar mold to that like extremely hard worker you know like uh, to use old cliches like nose to the grindstone type you know crap like that but i i think i think that rj was at duke at least and i mean maybe i just haven't watched enough of okoro to get a feel for whether he was put in situations like this and another thing for you press to like maybe shed some light on but i mean i think that rj in college was asked to do i mean he was on a team with zion williamson who everybody by 10 games in the season decided was consensus number one player in America, rightfully so. And also had Reddish on his team who it, it turned out vastly underperformed and kind of sucked. Uh, and, and then, you know, he was basically asked by coach K regardless of the situation with Zion or anybody else to go out there and win them basketball games. Like almost, I would say on a nightly basis, cause they have plenty of games where they steamrolled cause they were a college power, but there was plenty of games like the closer games where it hit, you know, crunch time situations. And it seemed like coach K's general game plan was just kind of like give RJ the ball up top and clear out. Like, I don't care how good Zion is. We're giving the ball to RJ in this situation. And I, I, I think RJ just went out there and tried to complete those scenarios. And then he had situations like that. I always, when I was talking about the potential negatives for RJ last year, I always kept going back to the Gonzaga game where he just like essentially was forced to shoot the, to shoot Duke into a loss in that game because it, coach K just kept giving him the ball up top and being like, figure it out. And he, he just went in and got like completely owned by Brandon Clark, like three times and uh, on the inside. And like, I think missed an outside shot or something too. And it was just a miserable end to the game for him. But those were kind of the situations that coach K put him in a lot. I think at Duke, which sort of pumped his numbers and efficiency down a little bit, but the NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Sorry, I just kind of ranted a little bit, Prez. You were looking for a number, and I just kind of yeah. hijacked but No, that stuff is, is all true. It's all good points. Um, it, like, you know, if you look at most of 
Okoro's threes, they're mostly catch and shoot. Um, first half of the season, he was scared to take them. Second half, he was more willing. Um, he does have a few off the dribble threes. Um, I, I tweeted a earlier today. I tweeted one of them, the one where he had versus Kentucky that was like a legit step back three, and the form looks good. And the thing that's funny with Okoro is when he's he has threes where his form looks totally fine. It's just the like the variance from shot to shot is just astounding in his form. RJ Barrett is the opposite problem. His form looks the same. It's just off consistently, right? And there and he's really hard to peg mechanically. Um there were so many people on draft Twitter who were not that concerned about RJ Barrett's shot. And you know, he still didn't shoot that well. He got shot a little better as the season went on, but, um, and, and I, I think he'll be fine. Cause it's not, he's not like Michael Kidd Gilchrist form out there, but, um, you know, clearly, you know, him shooting well, wasn't a foregone conclusion either. So, uh, you know, even if he got easier shots, I think him and Clark, I mean, not Clark, him and Okoro, even though they're both six, six, both about 220 pounds, both jacked, um, Okoro has a eight foot four standing reach RJB eight foot six. So they're basically the same size. Um, and as an aside, I think it's funny that RJ is universally considered a 2-3. And you have people on Twitter talking about Okoro playing power forward. And I know positions don't mean as much in the NBA now, but like Okoro is a shooting guard sized player. And like anybody who drafts him needs to deal with that. Like if you put him at the three, he's still like average sized at best, right? Jason Tatum... Luca, Chris Middleton, all these guys tower over him height-wise. And thank God he's really strong and a good defender because his wingspan is good, not great. And these guys are just going to be able to shoot over the top of him in a lot of instances. So he's going to have to push them around like Marcus Smart does, um, which hopefully he can do, especially if he's on the Knicks because that's a he looks like he could leg press just like all the plates at once, just like <laughs> they just run out of plates. Um, but yeah, RJB and Okoro, they have their biggest, what de- what's going to define both of them is challenges, which are polar opposites for both of them. With Okoro, whether he has any upside in the NBA is directly tied to, um, if you buy his handle on shot as both being fine and not horrible, then it's really just a matter of him finding ways to get up the shots, Right. Like I, I had, a, I had some Okoro exchanges to meet with on exchanges on Twitter today, where I'm a little lower on his ball handling than other people are, and I think the reason is because to me I'm like, he's a two three in his size, so his his handle has to be a little bit better um, than somebody who's going to play the four full time or be a three four if you want him to be a you know some Jimmy Butler type player. Jimmy Butler came in as a shooting guard. Right, nobody has ever described Okoro as a shooting guard ever in his life. They described RJ as a shooting guard, even though he couldn't shoot. So clearly, it's not the lack of a jump shot that prevents people from being classified as a shooting guard. It's because he plays like a bigger player, not like a guard. So um, if you buy his handle being fine, which it might be, like he doesn't have a horrible handle. He just was very choice and when he drove, and was very strong when he drove, which is why he drew a million fouls. Um, so yeah, if he can handle and if he can shoot, okay, then like, 
if you believe if you're that high on him, he should be top three on your board. And there's some people on draft Twitter to their credit that do have him that high. But like, if if you're gonna tell me like he's better than RJ at all these things and the the driving and creation is not a big and shooting is not a big step for him, then he should be like top three, if not like top two, if not number one, given his defense, to be completely honest. So I just think there's sometimes a a little bit of a disconnect in how we look when we when we talk about some guys upside. But then if you like, if I really put you in the hot seat, I'm like, okay, you're a GM and there's millions of dollars at stake. Do you really believe that? I think some people would probably be like, okay, maybe that's not a 75th percentile outcome. Maybe that's a 95th percentile outcome. But with RJ Barrett, you know he can get up the shots. He has to dial it down and be more selective about the shots. And to some degree, we saw that he still took a lot of mid-range shots, but not nearly as many as he did at Duke. Um, He took a lot more at the rim. He can probably shoot some more from three, but that's probably Fisdale and Miller's fault as much as it is his fault, to be honest. Um, So, I don't know. We'll see if Okoro can dial up his usage, and we'll see if RJV can smarten up his usage. That's kind of why I had him in my funny joke column as taller Justice Winslow. And uh, in the mid-level one, Canadian Larry Hughes, the first sentence is, I actually think this iteration of RJB scores more points per game than the high-end one. And that was what I was trying to illustrate, is that, like Larry Hughes, you know, if you, you can get up shots, that doesn't mean you're going to help your team. Justice has realized that he's not the guy he was coming out of Duke, but he's still really good when he's healthy, right? He's a useful player. And if, if you have, like, a slightly taller version of Justice who can stay healthy... That's like a really useful rotation. That's like every other player on the Heat right now. Guys who can like drive, kick, defend, are like 220 pounds and like foul and get fouled, right? That's like a useful, super useful player, which is the same thing as a Coral. So like they are similar. I just think the upside is easier to reach for RJ. Um, but, you know, if... if 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 you care about like having top ends of defense, I mean, I guess I could see it. That's why I would have them in the same tier. I just personally don't see it. Yeah, that that's all fair. I I think what I I didn't think enough about yesterday when I was talking about, it, and I went back and looked and uh, reread a a um, Knicks Film School newsletter that I really enjoyed all the way back in March on RJ's passing, and it sort of reminded me of what I loved about him during the regular season. And why context is so crucial to evaluating these guys. I mean, you mentioned the zeroth percentile spacing. And despite that still average two and a half assists per game, I think he's a guy in his prime, like given like a fairly ideal roster who could average five or six assists per night. And if you're getting that from a wing who's a secondary creator without great athleticism, who generates easy passes um, just by like their sheer ability to to draw help. Um, that that's a pretty good sign that a guy has really, really good court vision. And to me, that, that was RJ to a T. Like uh, someone who, and I think Jonathan Macri used this word, and I, I agreed with it, was like very deliberate as a passer. Like he was rarely like doing like the Luca thing where you're picking out guys out of nowhere last second who come free at the very last moment. But at the same time was patient enough and um, ju- just intelligent enough as a basketball player 
to say, all right, if I do this, this person will come open. Let me manipulate the board this way by taking two hard dribbles right, drawing the help defender one step over, and then whipping a pass into the opposite corner. And to his credit, he had the strength to make that pass. He would make it with accuracy. He would consistently hit guys um, in the shooting pocket. He, he was just advanced beyond his years as a ball mover, and especially as a 19-year-old. So that was so impressive to me. And if you're looking for kind of the flash skill with RJ, that that's sort of it to a T. And I would just, I would love to see him um, on a team that can highlight that. I, I was just sort of thinking about it because um, one other thing I wanted to throw at you, Prez, was like maybe going back to last year's draft, like who are the guys that you would um, you would take ahead of him? And like, obviously like John, Zion, no question, Brandon Clark, probably though maybe some people would debate that and Tyler Harrow was the name I was kind of getting caught up on and I was watching the Heat Bucks game tonight and I was watching Harrow just sort of toast guys one-on-one and with the shooting I was thinking all right it's no question I'd rather take Harrow but to some degree I was thinking you switch like the situations like Harrow's like way way less efficient on the Knicks and I'd love to see RJ on a team like the Heat where everyone's kind of empowered to be like a passer and there's just movement all over the court and there are always tons of shooters like guys like Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic to kick it out to. And I was just, I couldn't help but think, God, like RJ would be kicking ass in the playoffs right now on a team like Miami. And I'm sure he'd have some have his mistakes and teams would be playing way, way off him and daring him to take a whole bunch of threes. Defensively, he'd be getting pulled out and, and guys would be going one-on-one at him constantly. So there'd certainly be some weaknesses but I would just offensively, as kind of a, a secondary creator, I would love to see him on a team like that. And I, I think he could pick even some of the better defenses in the NBA apart as a teenager. And I, I'd love to see what he could do in a couple of years in the right situation. Yeah, this matters so much. Like, Harold's in a great situation. And, you know, it was popular to put a lot of people thought Culver was like a safer version of RJ, but they had this, they had very similar issues. And, he was also not in an ideal situation. Like RJ, he was thrust out there at point guard inexplicably at the beginning of the year because of injuries and weird coaching. And he also floundered with it, um, just like RJ, even though RJ had a his nice first game as a Nick. Um, you know, RJ's shot pretty much stayed the same, maybe got a little better. Culver's got worse. So, you know, when, when people say swing skilled, they mean swing, right? That means it could go either way. So that's what you're seeing with Culver. So uh, I don't know. It's it's still early. It's still early to really tell because you know this is a cop out answer, but like if guys have swing, if when guys are not that good, like they're not in that second. Like take take aside players like Luca and Zion, and just you know, think about that the tier below that. So like guys like Lamelo, um, you know Marvin Bagley whoever, guys like that, like, not quite generational talents, but pretty freaking good. John Morant, like, these guys have swing skills, but you know they're going to be pretty good. If you go to the group below that, then there's a whole lot of variance, and that's why guys who are, like, steals in the draft are often at 10 or 15 or 25 or whatever, because that whole group, once you get to that third tier or fourth or fifth, like, it, there's just a lot of variance with swing skills, and it's just, you know, it's hard to predict. And a lot of the trepidation with RJ wasn't really because of his skill set. It was because he was the third prospect, right, in a draft where he was hyped up as being on the level of the two guys in the first group. In this draft, we pretty much knew the deal from the get-go, right? Like, we knew there was no Zion. We knew there was no Jaw. We knew there was probably... No RJ, no 20, 30-point scorer. Like, it was just guys with flaws and interesting skills. 
RJ is closer to that than he is to Zion and even John Morant. And I, I just think that that hype and that expectation is really what has colored the expectations for him a lot. And, you know, you talk about the wings in this year's draft. They're guys who are interesting and have flaws, right? Like, it, it's not a particularly good wing class by any means. It's not better than last year's wing class, like y'all were saying. Like, even guys like Tyler Harrow, Kevin Porter Jr., Jared Colt, like, these guys would all be in the mix in the top 10 this year, right? Look at fucking Cam Johnson. Like, I was a little higher on him than some people, uh, one of the rare hot takes for me that actually worked and like you probably sign up for cam john 2020 cam johnson over half the people in this draft too right he'd probably be like you people love devin vassell what if i told you taller better shooting devin vassell how about that right that's cam johnson now um maybe not quite as good as defense but but yeah so and then you look at next year's class um i'm i'm sure most folks listening haven't haven't except for this stray Cade Cunningham highlight reel on Twitter, but it's the opposite. It's like a meal. It's like everybody in the class is like six foot six, six foot nine skilled wings who fucking dunk on your face from the free throw line. Like it's the opposite. Like you'll see next year when we're doing this pod again and you're like, where would we put RJ Barrett and Isaac Accor? Like these guys wouldn't be in the top 10 in next year's draft for like the same reason. There's just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of variance and stuff like that. And, and the hype colors expectations. And uh, it's why someone like Okoro might drop. It's why someone like RJ might get picked early. Um, I like them both. All right. That's all for today. Uh, as usual, you know, I, Gavin and I talked before the show. We were like, oh, this would be a nice, tidy 30-minute episode. And things went longer than we projected uh, because there was a pretty intense RJ debate to be had, as it turns out. So, Next episode, we're going to finish up our debate on R.J. Barrett and where he ranks in relation to this year's draft class. And then we're also going to talk with Prez about a couple other prospects that we haven't really talked too much about on here. Uh, We're going to talk about Patrick Williams and we're going to talk about Tyrese Maxey a little bit. So two guys that I think Knicks fans are a little more interested in now that the Knicks have slipped to eight and Williams is getting top 10 buzz and Maxey obviously has that. Kentucky connection uh, to new uh, Knicks assistant coach Kenny Payne. So we will get into that in tomorrow's episode of Locked on Knicks. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.